fellow Utah skiers and riders, and welcome to Last Chair, the Ski Utah podcast. How about Utah's own Pixie and the Party Grass Boys opening this episode once again? And a special thanks to High West, Utah's first legal distillery since 1870. High West is passionate about crafting delicious and distinctive whiskeys and helping people appreciate whiskey all in the context of our home here in the American West. When you're in town, visit one of High West locations in Park City and nearby Wanship. This week, we welcome a new sponsor to Last Chair, Red Ledges. If you're looking for your own piece of Utah paradise, look at Red Ledges with over 2,000 acres featuring custom homes and home sites just minutes from the lifts. And welcome back to Level 9 Sports. From Orem to Mill Creek to Salt Lake City to Ogden, Level 9 Sports is the perfect ski and board shop for your family. Watch for the mid-November opening of the newly renovated downtown Salt Lake store and check out level9sports.com to get ready for the season no matter where you are. For over two decades, artist James Nehues has been bringing our dreams to reality. Remember those ski trip planning sessions when you would pour over trail maps, plotting out every single run of your mountain vacation? Well, that's James Nehus, the man behind the maps. As an artist and a graphical designer in the 90s, James Nehus was looking for a new pathway in life, and he found it. And over the next couple of decades, he became a cult hero to skiers and riders across the world. Get out any of your old trail maps and look for his signature in the trees. With his brush and canvas, he brought mountains to life. And it's now preserved forever in a magical book on his life as a trail map painter. Now let's join James Nehus from his studio to meet the man behind the maps. And today, Last Chair, the Ski Utah podcast is taking you to the studio of noted, legendary ski map painter, James Nehus. And Jim, great to have you here on Last Chair. Well, it's good to be on Last Chair. It's kind of synonymous with my situation right now. I know. And you know, a lot of us are kind of bummed that you're retiring, but we have this amazing book that we'll talk about later to document uh, some of your great maps that you've done over the years. We're just getting into the ski season right now. And I know that you are retiring, but are you going to have maybe a little bit more time to hit the slopes this winter? No, I've kind of hung up my skis. You know, I stay at the painting board quite a bit, and so I don't stay in real good shape. I'm 75, so I just figured it was better for my health to maybe stay off the slopes. I'm not a expert skier, so I'm an intermediate skier that skis with fear. Well, as long as you have fun or you had fun when you're skiing, to me, that's all that really matters. We're going to talk about all aspects of ski maps. And as a kid growing up in the sport, I was just captivated by maps. It was one of the things that really got me into the sport. What is it in your mind that really is so vital about what these maps have done for skiers and snowboarders to bring these places to life? Well, I think what's uh, really important is to remember that they are the great outdoors. You know, you get away to ski and you get up on that mountain. It's exhilarating. It's just a fantastic experience. And that's what I really try to get into all my paintings. And getting them down the hill is, is extremely important, too. So there's two vital uses for this map. And one of them is to dream by and plan over. And the other one is to guide you on the mountain. 
I love the dream by portion. And again, I remember very distinctly when I was a teenager back in Wisconsin, I was looking to make my first trip out West. I got all of the brochures and I opened them up and I look at these amazing maps and you just kind of dream about going down those runs. How did you eventually get into this? I know it's documented in your book, but give us a sense of what brought you into the world of documenting all of these amazing ski areas. Well, I moved to Denver at the age of 40 and was trying to make it on the streets doing illustration work, you know, and just pounding the streets trying to find jobs. I knew that Bill Brown, the previous trail map illustrator, was living in Denver. So I looked him up, hoping that he would have a job for me. He liked my portfolio and we, we talked a lot and he gave me a small job to do and said, well, I have plenty of time on this. So I'll give you this and we'll see how you do. And then uh, if it doesn't pan out, I can go ahead and do it. So I did that. I spent about a month on that thing. And it's just a little small illustration. I was trying to be sure that I mimicked Bill's illustration very closely and brought it back. He took it up to the client. Client thought it was Bill's. Then whenever he brought the illustration back, I signed it at that time and said, hey, I have other interests. Basically, he just turned over the trail map business to me. And all of a sudden, I had a career. And it just boomed, you know, from there. It is amazing. And looking back on this, there's only been a few developers such as yourself that have really reached that level of prominence. Certainly, Bill Brown is one, but he had a predecessor before him as well. He sure did, Hal Sheldon. And Hal did him during the 70s, then Bill did him during the 80s. I've been in Hal's studio and Bill's, and uh, they just really encouraged me. And, you know, whenever I'd enter their studio, it was like being in Candyland. It was just incredible to see their work and be with them and hear how they did it. And, and uh, you know, they guided me along. What was it that inspired you? Were you a skier at the time? I know that you'd been in the art and the graphic design world, but was it just an outgrowth of your work there? Or were you motivated because of your love for skiing at the time? Well, you would think since I was born in Colorado that I'd be a skier, but I grew up out on a farm and we just never went skiing. I learned actually while I was in the army in Austria, I could get down the slope. In fact, I thought I was pretty good because at the end of the course, why they had a little contest there and I had the fastest time down. So whenever I come home, I went up to the local ski area thinking I could really ski, and I had a big surprise. I picked a run that was pretty narrow and an intermediate run, and I just couldn't slip on the turns. I would go traverse straight across and try to turn and fall, and finally, I just walked off. I literally walked down the course. <laughs> it took me a while, but as I got into trail maps, I learned more and more. When Bill Brown gave you that first opportunity to do some sketches for him, can you tell us what the ski resort was at the time? He was painting a little inset for Winter Park, Colorado, and it's the backside of Mary Jane. And that was my very first illustration. My very first contract was with Boreal out in California. Boreal, a relatively small area, but with those two under your belts, uh, were you able to start picking up business pretty quickly? It was a little slow at first, of course. In those days, you'd, you'd send out mailings. And so I'd send out a slide of each one of those, along with a letter uh, introducing myself and a recommendation from Bill. And uh, it took a while, but uh, 
by 1988, I think that was in, no, in 1987, why uh, a veil came along, they, they signed on. You know, a funny story about that, because I was with the Vail people and we were walking down the hallway. I was in behind the marketing director. And he um, he turned around and said, so you're the trail map guy now. And I turned around to see who he was talking to. <laughs> but I guess I got there. I think you sure did. It's been fascinating to follow this through the years. I want to dive in now to how you create the maps. And I think that's the aspect that baffles most of us lay people as we look at these amazing depictions of the resorts. But you have an interesting process, which is documented very well in the Man Behind the Maps book. Tell us a little bit about how your process works from start to finish, and what are the key steps along the way to build one of these amazing paintings? Well, key to it is aerial photography for me. Um, I can really visualize the mountain then once I get up in the air and you know, I'll, I'll start at about 2,000 feet above the summit and then work my way down and take all kinds of photographs, details of the mountain all the way down to the base. And by the time the flight's over, we're flying at mid-mountain going downstream for sure to get out of there. But the information is there. And uh, certainly to learn how to ski and be on the mountain slopes helped me to uh, relate more to the slopes and to the skiers. Once I have those aerials, then I go into a sketch and I'll review everything that I have from a ski area, from uh, their past maps, uh, photographs that they may have. And I'll do the sketch. And once that's approved, and, and this is a very comprehensive sketch, and they'll go through that with a fine tooth comb and um, get back to me. And then I'll make those changes and go into the final rendering. You know, I start out with the sky, with the airbrush, and once the sky and all the terrain with snow cover is on, then I'll paint in all the tree shadows. And once the tree shadows are in, then the trees are painted in. And then it just proceeds on down the mountain to the buildings and the base area and parking lots. Once that's done, we make a scan of it, and I then work the scan over and supply a file to the ski resort. And about how long does this process take? Once you have your aerial photography, how long does it take to bring that map to fruition? Well, I had one that took seven years. But, you know, I mean, that's a <laughs> thank goodness they aren't all that way. And the normal turnaround on these are going to be, you know, a month to three months. Actual painting time anywhere from like a small ski area. You know, in, in recent uh, years, I could go ahead and produce those in a week. And for a large ski area, probably three weeks to paint. Yeah, that's pretty remarkable to me. I want to go back to the point you made about painting in all of the tree shadows. First of all, you paint in all the trees. And then you have to paint in a corresponding shadow. How do you visualize where the shadow should go? Do you have kind of a placement in your mind as to where the sun is? And how do you strategically come to that? Well, I've got to correct you. I put in the shadows first, and then I put in the trees. You put in the shadows first. That's correct. That is a fun fact. <laughs> what I'll do with that sketch is project it up on the painting surface, and then I trace out every tree, not every individual tree, but every outline to follow the island around, then I know exactly where those trees go. And if there's individual trees, of course, then I'll add those in. And so I know exactly where they're going to be. So I paint in my 
shadow first because whenever I paint in a tree, the tree will come down to the shadow and cover up the shadow. So it's much harder to paint in the tree first and the shadow later. It's just quite remarkable to me. You know, I mean, it really does speak, though, to the accuracy of the map and how you can actually use them for navigation. And, you know, I know from having relied on trail maps for many years, you get a pretty good sense of where those tree islands are in the run and how accurately they're depicted. So, again, you're going back to your aerial photography for all of that? Yes, I am. It's vital, I think. You know, I mean, if you're out there on the slopes and you you are maybe coming through spruce trees and then you hit some quakies, I want people to know where on the map they are. And trees are a big uh, identifying form on the slopes. So we are in a digital age now and a great amount of graphic design is now done digitally. Maps still are done with a good old-fashioned painting process. Have you looked at any possible advancements in digital that might help you or assist you in what you're doing? Well, I'm fairly computer illiterate whenever it comes to what the younger generation knows today. But I use it uh, a great deal in the final steps. You know, once I get the scan, I'll go in and I'll still do some color adjustments and, and some fine tuning to some different things. But I think there's a lot of digital maps out there right now. They've really kind of taken over and, and they're in the ski industry also. But they just don't portray what the human mind and hand can do to get that feeling and that romance this scene of the outdoors. And I think that's what's so overwhelmingly important. So I hope it's not lost as I leave the market. I love the term to romance the scene. What are some of the techniques that you use as an artist to romance the scene and really put the life into the trees and the snow and the surface? Well, it's hard to explain exactly, Tom. I, I guess it's uh, getting some contrast. And then also, I really use a lot of subtle tints and tones. For instance, I'll, I'll bring a ridge out by putting kind of a, uh, well, just a tint of the trees in behind it. So it looks like a mist. Sometimes I'll uh, work in some clouds over the slopes to um, just give that feeling that you're high on the mountain. And lots of times, whenever you're skiing, you're in the clouds. So I, I think that's a lot of it. And just, I don't know exactly how to form the explanation of what I do. Well, I think you did a pretty good job there. And I have one other question relative to that. For those who might not understand airbrushing and what that is, can you talk about that technique and how vital that is for you to depict the sky and the clouds and other broad areas in the maps? Well, the airbrush is a tool that you can use it in a way that It'll produce a very wide spray and a lot of color, or you can pull it down and use it for very small details. So you can really uh, come in on the slopes and form the bumps that they may encounter. Um, you can come in and shade the side of the mountain that is the steeper side of the mountain. You know, you can just do it a whole lot with it. It's a very smooth technique, so it just produces snow so very well, so much better than, than the brush will. When you're using the airbrush, how do you mask out the areas that you don't want to hit with that color? Well, what I'm using is a water-soluble watercolor. So I can do it two ways. I can either mask it off with a frisket, you know, and you, you use a, a knife then to cut it out, an X-Acto knife, so that 
you can expose the area you want to airbrush. Or in many cases, in later years, I would merely uh, just uh, airbrush down to the line and then take water and lift the paint off to make that hard line on where the shadow is cast against the snow. So there's several ways that you can do that. It's just fascinating. We're going to take a short break now. We're with James Nehues, the man behind the maps. We're going to come back in a little bit and talk about Utah, talk about the book, and a few reflections back on a career of one of the greatest trail painters we've seen. We'll be right back on Last Chair. We are now just days from the opening of the season here in Utah. Are you still looking for gear for the family or maybe a tune? It really pays to visit a shop and talk to the experts when making choices, whether it's a new pair of skis or a snowboard or an upgrade to your goggles. And you have a lot of choices in shops here in Utah. What I really love about Level 9 Sports is its approach to families. I mean, let's face it, outfitting your family with skis, boots, jackets, snowboards can be daunting. Level 9 recognizes that and has implemented programs to not only make the process easier, but also helping with the impact on your pocketbook. I had a chance recently to visit the newly renovated Level 9 Sports in downtown Salt Lake City, less than a minute off the freeway from the new Salt Lake City International Airport. It is an amazing old historic building in an industrial area that's really coming to life and going through an amazing renaissance. It's a huge shop featuring a wide selection of skis and accessories. And a big feature that really stood out to me was literally an entire mezzanine floor dedicated to boots and boot fitting. I had a fitting myself last season at the Level 9 store in Mill Creek, and I highly recommend it. Visit the website at level9sports.com. That's Level 9 Sport spelled out. Check out the Ski Learning Center and the Teaching Children sections, a wealth of how-to videos that will help walk you through the process. You can find Level 9 Sports at four locations in the greater Salt Lake area, including Orem, Mill Creek, the new store in downtown Salt Lake City, and also up in Ogden. Stop by and tell them you heard it right here on Last Chair. Now let's get back to the man behind the maps, James Nehues. And we're back on Last Chair, the Ski Utah podcast. Today we are with James Nehues, the man behind the mountains. We're going to talk about the book. We're going to talk about Utah and a number of other reflections on a, an amazing career. Let's talk about Utah, Jim. I know that you've spent a lot of time here. You've done a lot of maps here. But can you share some stories about maps that you've done here in Utah? Oh, my gosh, yes. Utah is my favorite place to ski, actually. I know I'm from Colorado. I hope not too many Colorado people are listening. But, hey, you've got great snow in Utah. You've got a great variety of ski terrain. It's just fabulous. And, you know, I've, I've got good memories up at Alta and Snowbird and the canyons. I have spent a lot of time on the slopes of canyons in Park City. So you have to understand, I don't ski every mountain that I paint. Sometimes, you know, it just doesn't fit in that I visit the mountain. And so I'll work from material that they send me and I'll direct somebody to do the aerials for me. I remember one time on Solitude, I wasn't a real good skier at the time. Uh, it was early in my career, the first time I painted the uh, Solitude trail map. I wanted to go down into Honeycomb Canyon. You know, I just skied right on in there. It didn't look too bad, but <laughs> it was a lot more than I could handle. And I, it took me quite a while to get out of that canyon. So I get in those predicaments quite a bit. 
Well, as an artist, you got to research your subject and you got to dive right in there. And I know what you mean about going back in honeycomb. But yeah, I'd like to expand on that though. I mean, honeycomb is an interesting area. It's a little separate canyon behind the main mountain of sorts. And how do you map things like that? I mean, how do you create an overall map and include things that are maybe in a completely different angle or setting than the rest of the mountain? You know, on any complicated mountains, there's always hidden slopes from any particular view. So what I have to do is come in and work with different perspectives. And it's a matter of kind of rolling back the perspective. A lot of the terrain that you'll see in my illustrations are the point of view is from a higher point of view, looking down where you wouldn't see a horizon. But then as I get towards the horizon, I'll roll it back kind of the only way I can explain it, but and then include the sky. So it's a, it's a matter of positioning the points, your, your top of your lifts and what angle you put them at to get the steepness of the slopes uh, portrayed as they would ski. So yes, uh, honeycomb is kind of hidden back there, but a lot of the uh, terrain is in that view. It's just the uh, terrain right over the ridge that very expert skiers drop in and ski, and it is all uh, bladed and wooded and thick, so uh, you don't really have trails there to represent. So I can kind of show that particular one without a lot of the slopes showing. I will illustrate there the point of entrance into the area, and then it's kind of up to the skier to get down those slopes. Do you often use inset maps? For example, in this particular case, would you be able to use an inset map where you maybe have a separate drawing of that particular part of the mountain? Well, in this part, on solitude, I didn't have to. But there are cases where insets are used. I try not to use them because people do get confused at times on exactly where the inset where you come into the map and where you exit and so forth. And so it's, uh, I try to stay away from insets. You know, I'm looking at the map right now of solitude, and it really is quite remarkable to see how you've found that just right perspective, tilting the mountain in just a certain way where you actually could see both the front side and the back side. And it's an amazingly accurate depiction if you're a skier going in there on how you get in and how you get out. Well, and just try to portray it like it's going to ski. One of the things about Utah that has uh, long impressed skiers is how many resorts are right in the heart of the Wasatch. You drew a map once that included not just the Wasatch, but it included every ski area in the state. And I still marvel at how you accomplished that in one map, even though there's a pretty good size gap in miles between the Wasatch and to the Southern Utah resorts. Tell us about that particular project where you had to document all of the Ski Utah resorts. Those kind of projects I really get into, and, and it's always a challenge. And It's just a matter of representing the terrain between them, but editing out everything that is not necessary to have in it. You know, I, I have the uh, mountain range uh, coming down to the south and then just pull in a little closer and tighter on the ski areas as you get down there. Again, it's, um, it's using a lot of different perspectives in one. And uh, my view, of course, is from a very high altitude. I, I imagine that view, if you were to put a height on it, would be from probably 18,000 feet or so, or maybe even higher than that, 24 or something. 
but it's just kind of working it in and working it until the perspectives look right. And I'll refer to a state map or a topo map and look at it and make sure that everything is relative. That as I look at the illustration I'm doing, that if somebody did look at a topo or a state map, they can say, oh yeah, I see where that is. And that I think is key. I'm looking now at the Utah state map that is in the book, Man Behind the Maps. And here it is from 1999, Beaver Mountain up in the north and all the way down in the south, Eagle Point and Brian Head. And, you know, it's just an amazing perspective. Did you use aerial photography on this one? I used what aerial photography I had and then some of the uh, ski resorts at the time that I did that. I didn't have anything. I don't think I had anything on Beaver. I'd already received stuff from Brian Head and uh, at the time, is it Elk Mountain? Yeah. And now it's Eagle Point, I think. I had been down there and photographed those and, of course, photographed many of them in other projects as I had. So um, basically, I I had photographs, aerials from all of those. What I really like in the book is being a Utah ski fan. You have so many different Utah regional maps that you have done. You have the quintessential Utah interconnect map, which shows the resorts right here in the Wasatch and how they interconnect. You've got a regional view of the Cottonwood Canyons. You even have the Utah Olympic Park. There's really no place in the country that has so much skiing in one compact area like this. I would imagine that you had a lot of fun working these maps. I'm looking right now at the Utah regional view from Park City that was revised in 2015. These maps must have been a lot of fun for you to paint. Oh, absolutely. And it was really fun with the people and this whole ski uh, personnel in Utah. You know, everybody's a great bunch of people and they just make it a lot of fun. But it's challenging. I, I always love a puzzle. And, you know, although it seems complicated. It just fell into place for me. The Utah mountains, they're great subjects. You have decided upon your retirement to document all of this in a book. The book is called The Man Behind the Maps, Legendary Ski Artist James Nehues. What was your motivation to put a book together? Not an easy project, but had you been envisioning this for some time before you pulled the trigger and got it done? I've been envisioning a book since the mid-1990s, about uh, 1995 or so, uh, I thought, well, I've done quite a few now. Maybe I'll do enough to have a book someday. Just got put on the back burner, and it stayed there for many, many years. And it wasn't until a few years back that I was contacted by a, a fan. He just emailed me, and it's Todd Bennett, and he's a ski enthusiasts that uh, they, they just kind of chase the snow around getting the best snow. So uh, whenever he said, well, I want to buy your book, and if you don't have it, I'd like to help you put it out. And uh, I thought, oh, yeah, sure. You know, he doesn't know what's involved in putting out a book. He had no experience in publishing. So we got to knowing each other through the next few months. And he, he worked at Disney and, and had a background that I thought, well, maybe he does understand. And I got to know that he was somebody that really was passionate about what he did and was thorough in his approach to things. Dora and I, we decided, let's go with him. And the funny thing is that just about the time that we was ready to sign the contract with Todd Bennett and Ben Farrell, why I was contacted by a publisher in New York City, and uh, it was a big publisher, and they wanted to do my book. And so we had the decision to make, do we go with 
a known publisher, we know it will get published, or do we go with the ski enthusiast and these two guys that have never put out a book? And we decided to go with them. Uh, we did it because we felt like their enthusiasm, being skiers and so forth, would add so much to the book. And it has. Todd has done a marvelous job in promoting it. We went on Kickstarter. And we didn't know what to expect. We set our goal very low because if you don't make the goal, you don't get the funds. So we set it at $7,000 and we ended up at $500,000, which meant that we could jump in and really do the book right. Ben looked up all the different publishers around the country and the world and decided on Italy, a company in Italy specialized in art books. It was sent there after a, a lot of production that took place. And, you know, it's all handled by Todd and Ben, and it's just been an extreme success. Uh, we've now printed off over 100,000 copies, and I think that we've sold somewhere around 70,000. Those are really remarkable numbers. I had no idea that the book would do that. The part that is actually a little bit emotional for me as a lifelong skier is the decision that you face to go with a known publishing house or to go with people who are passionate about the sport. And I think that's one of the things that's truly unique about skiing and snowboarding as a sport is that it's about the people and the culture. And, you know, I don't know those two guys, but they clearly brought that passion in and they were with you every step of the way. Oh, they sure were. There's no way I could have put out this book by myself, and it would have never been a success that it was without them. Actually, what year was the book published in, Jim? Well, I don't know. It's just been over a year. It's 2019. Okay. 2000, yeah, I think 2019, that Christmas, because then it turned into 2020. Yeah. And, and we, we all know what happened then. But did you get a chance at all when the book first came out? Did you have an opportunity to go on a book tour, sign some autographs and really kick the thing off? Or did you have to get into quarantine right after that? We had the opportunity to get out and I did book signings in Boston. And actually, our, our very first book signing was right there in Salt Lake City. It was just amazing. I was afraid I was going to be one of these guys that's going to be sitting back in the corner, twiddling my thumbs and, you know, wondering what to do. But, oh my gosh, the line was clear out the door. We ran out of books and that happened at, at every book signing we had. It was just incredible. I had no idea that I would draw that kind of crowd. Well, you really have done a good job with this and really struck a chord with the skiers. I want to touch on your wife, Dora, because you'd mentioned her. She really played a big role in your whole career. Oh, absolutely. If it wasn't for her, I would have never painted a trail map. It's as simple as that. She was a driving force that wanted to move to Denver. Um, I wanted to stay in Grand Junction, Colorado and try to make it there. So when we moved to Denver, that's when I looked up Bill Brown. So, I mean, how basic can you get? That's it. It would have never happened if it wasn't for her. And then she did all the books and the mailings and, and all this other stuff that left me free to paint and to create these maps. So she was key from the very beginning and continued to be and is today. You know, she helps me in all my decisions and which direction we go. 
she was certainly key in picking Todd and Ben, you know, and she felt good about the relationship that we had. And so I relied very heavily on her. I'll have you know that in the studio, she would come in and I'd say, hey, do I have all my shadows? And she would go through and she would find some trees without shadows and I would put them in there. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of detail. Let's take a look into the future. And I don't know where the crystal ball is going to go, but as you look into the next generation, do you see any new artists coming up or is there new technology that may come onto the scene? What is the next generation of trail maps going to look like? Well, I sure hope that the success of my book and the obviously acceptance of my hand-painted maps and the effectiveness of them, I'm hoping that this will be a clear message to the resorts that this is what you need to continue with. And uh, Rand Smith in Bozeman, Montana, we've been communicating now for years, and he's uh, following up. He's got a very nice style. It isn't exactly like mine, which is good. Uh, I think it'd be interesting and refreshing to have a different style in there, too. So I hope that the hand-painted map will continue to be a better representation than what the computer can do. Just one last thing before we head into our last tracks section. In a reflection back on your career, you were honored with induction into the U.S. Ski and Snowboard Hall of Fame in 2019. I know you're still waiting for that induction to actually take place, but it is scheduled coming up this March. What did it mean for you when you heard that you had been so honored to gain induction into the Hall of Fame for your work? Blown away. I mean, my background is from a small farm in western Colorado, and skiing had never been a part of my life until I was 40 years old and started painting trail maps. So when uh, Jason Blevins, that wrote the book, said to me, he said, Jim, you need to be in the Hall of Fame, and I'm going to nominate you. And I just looked at him kind of odd and said, are you sure? <laughs> it's been overwhelming and so gratifying that I had this much to do with an entire industry. You know, I, I painted all these maps all by myself, spent 30 years, 35 years doing it. That was reward enough, but this is just fantastic. Well, it's the nature of what skiing is all about, and you are certainly an integral part of skiing over the last four decades. So we thank you for your work. With that, we're going to launch into last tracks. I have a few final questions for you. Hopefully we aren't going to stump you too much, but it's been wonderful to talk to you, Jim. Do you have any idea on how many different ski resorts you've painted now over the years? Well, I painted right at 200, and of that, uh, you know, I've painted many of them more than once. As far as the actual paintings go, I probably have painted 400 or 450 maps and sketched that many too. So around 800 uh, different images. And don't forget that I have not only done ski maps, but I've done regional hiking maps too. Do you have any idea in all of those maps, how many trees you've painted? Uh, a lot. <laughs> a lot. I would, well, I mean, I don't know, billions, I guess. Quite a few. I've got a technique down. My wrist moves very fast. How long does it take you to paint a shadow and an accompanying tree? Well, I'll paint a group of trees. I never just paint one. 
usually. Um, that will be the detail in the last. But like doing a forest, I'll uh, come in with a brush that's loaded with uh, paint and just produce a texture, if you will, a, a back and forth tree shape, more of a triangular, vertical triangular shape. And then once that is laid down, then I'll come back in with water and dissolve that so it flows and makes uh, a lot of temps in there. And then I'll just come in and I'll add a highlight, which is a snow, and I'll add a shadow. I guess I, you could say I paint every tree three times and then the shadow of course. Well, when you paint a few billion of them, you're going to get the technique down, I think. <laughs> I should hope I have it. Oh, I think you do. I won't ask you for your favorite Utah resort, but do you have a particular memory of a Utah ski resort over your career? I guess the one that kind of stands out is uh, Deer Valley was one of my first ones. And and I had the honor of meeting Edgar Stern. He originated Deer Valley and skied with him. And I think he was 88 at the time that I visited with him and he was such a good skier and I was basically learning you know it was just incredible to see him at that age skiing the way that he was skiing and then I remember that we came back and in his residence we sat down and we started talking about the Deer Valley map and how he wanted to develop it he really wanted to try to produce a three-dimensional paper map so we got out the paper and we were sketching the different slopes on it and trying to fold it. So he wanted something that would work flat. But then whenever you connected the uh, poles, it would make a map that showed it on all sides. And, well, we had to toss it in the wastebasket. It just didn't work. <laughs> but I could see that he was one that really looked thoroughly into the different uh, possibilities and kind of stretched the imagination. And I remember the last time I was doing Alta. That was a great experience and really enjoyed the time on the slopes with him. And then there's the time at Solitude and Honeycomb Canyon and trying to find my way out and if I was going to make it or not. <laughs> well, we're happy to see that you found your way out of Honeycomb Canyon. I'm going to leave you with one more question. I know this is really a tough one. It stumps a lot of people. But in your case, I'd like you to describe in just one word, just one word, what your maps have brought to skiers and snowboarders. So in one word, what have your maps brought to all of us who have enjoyed them and found our way around mountains with them? Imagination. I love it. You mentioned that a minute ago, and I think that is a great word. Imagination. Looking at those maps and just imagining where you could go. Great word. It's been a great honor, and I've been very fortunate that my maps are on pinned up on bedroom walls of kids all over, you know, and, and I just couldn't, and there's no artist that could ask for anything more than that. James Niehaus, thank you for joining us on Last Chair. Appreciate having you today. Well, it's been a joy being here. I've really uh, enjoyed this time. James Niehaus, the man behind the mountains, legendary ski artist, joining us today on Last Chair. Some great stories today from trail map painter James Nehus, who has 
added so much to our enjoyment of the mountains through his artwork. If you don't have it already, get a copy of his book, Man Behind the Maps. You will spend hours reminiscing about your past mountain experiences and planning out the next ones. If you love skiing and riding here in Utah, maybe it's time to think about getting your own place here. Let me introduce you to Red Ledges, a 2,000-acre community just minutes from Park City where you can experience the best of all that Utah has to offer. From Red Ledges, you can spend the day skiing at Deer Valley Resort, a short shuttle ride away, hiking or biking on the surrounding trails, playing golf on one of Red Ledges' two Jack Nicholas courses, or participating in one of the many club activities at Red Ledges. After a day on the mountain, it's pretty nice to just come home to Red Ledges and relax on your own deck, soaking in amazing views of Mount Timpanogos. Red Ledges offers home sites and custom homes to make your dream life a reality. Visit redledges.com to learn more. That's redledges.com to discover an amazing community just minutes from the mountains. The Ski Utah Last Chair podcast is brought to you by High West Distillery. Follow our whiskey adventure on all social media platforms at Drink High West. And remember, sip responsibly. High West Whiskey, 46% alcohol by volume, High West Distillery in Park City, Utah. Thanks for joining us on Last Chair. We'll be back soon with more episodes. To close it out, let's welcome back our good friends Pixie and the Partygrass Boys. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Kelly for Last Chair, presented by High West. Have fun. It's a great day to ski. Music